This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and for becoming patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 345, we are going to sail the high seas, swim with giant crabs, and shoot our guns as we examine the seas of Vidari. And we have a stalwart team of reviewers joining us in the, uh, from the Tome Show family. Uh, I think everybody is in this, in this episode. And by everybody, uh, I mean at the moment, one person. Uh, we have who I am going to call the lead anchor from the Tome Show News Show, uh, as well as a regular contributor on other programs on the Tome Show. Uh, if it's happening in the D&D community, he knows all about it. It is the Reverend Lewis Brinton! <laughs> Thank you, sir. It's good to be here. Uh, we are also we're, We were also originally planning to have um, Ismail, uh, our social media manager, with us as well. But he's having car issues uh, getting home from work, and so might be able to, if things go well, join us later. Um, if not, um, then you'll get Lewis's wonderful opinion and and my um, you know significantly less wonderful opinion uh, <laughs> of, of we, as we talk about Seas of Adari. So um, we'll see if Ismail is able to join us later. Look, if you're going to roll dice, you're going to need precision. AwesomeDice.com has sharp edge dice for a fraction of the price of other such precision dice sellers. Chill out, my man. Oh, hello, Bard. Please, share your bardic inspiration about dice. Yeah, I've got bardic inspiration dice. Is this... Totally mellow cannabis theme set with smoky interior. Exclusively available at awesomedice.com. I see. Well, precision, bardic inspiration, or one of countless other unique dice sets. It seems you can get it all at the most awesome dice company on the internet, awesomedice.com. And don't forget to let him know. The Tome Show sent you, dudes. Um, but we are discussing the book, The Setting, Seas of Odari, published by Tribality uh, and available through DriveThruRPG. It is a setting of nautical adventure, swashbuckling firearms, and much, much more. It has setting details, a new gunslinger class, new builds for every class in the player's handbook, feats, backgrounds, equipment, both mundane and magical, and probably many other things that I didn't put on the list. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about. Before we do, I do want to thank all of our listeners who support the show. You can, doing so is really easy. You can do it by going shopping at DMs Guild or Amazon, just like you normally would. And actually, if you click on the DMs Guild link and then go over to uh, uh, DriveThruRPG, you can buy Caesar Vidari, uh, and we still get credit for that. You get the exact same experience, the exact same prices. Everything's the same for you, but we get a small percentage uh, for having pointed you towards those services, DMs Guild um, and Amazon. Did I mention Amazon before? Amazon's one too. 
I always like to make sure that people, uh, there's a lot of people shopping Amazon these days because we're all stuck at home. Uh, and the Amazon money all goes to our, our hosts and contributors and the people who help make the show possible who aren't me. That is um, my small way of trying to say thank you uh, to them for a show that doesn't really sell advertising to a point that we're like doing anything more than just paying for our hobby. <laughs> so. Um, if you want to support us directly and not go shopping, you can do so as a patron at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. You can be just like Hyperlexic, Leonard Pelche, Jill Sanders, Doug Palmer, and Merrick Blackman are some of our wonderful, wonderful patrons. Okay, that's all the intro. Now it is time to talk about Seas of Vidari Lewis. So I can stop talking so much and we can have more of a conversation. That sound good? I'm ready, man. I thought it, I always like to start a an episode where, where we're reviewing something by um, by disclosing uh, anything that we might need to disclose in terms of a product, right. such, such as getting review copies. In this case, I don't think either of us got review copies. We're both working from purchase copies. Yeah, I, I bought it with my filthy peasant money. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, uh, my, mine was was ill gotten lucre that I that I pirated on the on the seas, but. Uh, <laughs> the the high seas of Indiana here where I where I live. Right on. Right on. Um, but it is. I think it is worth disclosing that um, this was published by Tribality. Um, one of our good friends and Tome Show contributors, Brandis Stoddard, uh, is a regular contributor to Tribality and, in fact, worked on particular, specifically editing uh, and things, it looks like, from the credits page on this book. So, so full disclosure, um, it is possible that we love this book because we love Brandis and, and we want uh, to help him out. So, so um, bear that in mind as we talk about these things. That needs to be a strong disclaimer for us because Brandis is a good friend of ours, and uh, he's one of my co-hosts on the T- TSN show, and uh, is on another show with Sam, and he's mm-hmm. just he's, he is all about the Tome Show universe. Yeah, and uh, and we do love Brandis, <laughs> do. but uh, but yeah, we'll do our best to give to give this book a fair and reasonable um, review. He's credited both as a designer. And as an editor in the book, and okay. his wife, uh, Rabbit, is also, is also as listed as an editor in the book. Yeah, very good. So, I, I came to a decision actually today as I was preparing for this episode, Lewis. Um, mm. As I, I was pre- thinking through this um, this setting in this book. Um, and thinking through sort of my thoughts on it and, and what I was going to say tonight and all of that. Um, and, and I started saying, well, th- here's one of the things I, I want to see in a setting book. Does it do that? Here's one of the – and ultimately I decided, you know what I should do? I should just make a list of yeah. all of the things that I want to see in a setting book. Uh, and it turned out that my list ended up being – as I typed it, it ended up being in question form. So rather than going through the book sort of section by section, I'm going to try going through sort of my qualifiers of what I want in a setting and see if that how that does as, as a way of discussing this book. Are you up for that? That sounds like – yeah, that sounds like a great format. Let's chase that thing. Yeah, so because we've done the chapter by chapter thing on books like this and, and sometimes it turns into a really like – 
you know, we get into the nitty gritty and we get into the details and that's great. And a lot of people really love that, but it also gets a little bit uh, long in the tooth in, in, yeah. in, in my, at least in my recording experience. So I know people, some right. people, some people absolutely, absolutely adore, like when we did Heroes Handbook and we had to split it into two because we went through every single class build that was offered and whatever. Uh, people love that kind of stuff sometimes, but I'm, I'll think, I think this will be an interesting way to have the conversation. If not, we tried it and we won't do it again. <laughs> so, Fair enough. Um, so the first thing uh, I put down for what I want to see in a setting is does the setting enable storytelling that can't really be told elsewhere? Because if I can tell the same kinds of stories just as well in another setting, then what do I need a new setting for? Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's a lot of settings. Uh, that's part of where I think these questions are coming from is that there's a lot of settings. Um and everybody publishes a setting book at some point, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so you've yeah. got you've got plenty of options, and some of them are very well done by professionals. You know, Green Ronin has fifth edition settings, and Wizards of the Coast has now what four, five, six different settings between the Magic ones and and yeah. the the Wild Mount one, and and all those. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of setting options out there. Does this one allow me to tell stories that I can't really easily tell elsewhere? What do you think? I would say largely, I'm going to say 80% yes. And what I mean by that is I didn't understand, like, since 5e came out, and especially since I started working with the Tomaverse and following new stuff very carefully, uh, I didn't realize how many people really, really like nautical-themed adventures mm-hmm. and want nautical themes and nautical settings, because that's not my particular you know, thing. But uh, I was really surprised by that. So so this, this book is, you know, it's not quite water world level, but it's, you know, you can't get very far anywhere without ships. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing. It, every, the whole world's an island chain, basically. And, uh, and so, yeah, uh, you can at least tell a fully, if you allow me the term, immersive uh, <laughs> nautical story uh, here uh, with this tool that is probably the best tool to tell this kind of story that I've seen. I sure can't think of another one that, mm-hmm. that can tell a nautical story like this can. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. So I've seen a lot of settings. Uh, and I certainly haven't seen every setting, right? So, so I guess take that with a grain of salt. Um, but it is—it's basically just a string, a, a circle of islands surrounding this sort of uh, big maelstrom sort of thing. But, but in terms of yeah, so I what I, what I haven't seen a ton of is nautical themed um, settings, and so that's definitely something that it has that. Uh, and that it enables it's unique, but I think there's more than that that makes it unique. Um, I think the the abundance of firearms is an obvious thing to point to. Um, yes, that, that stands out. There is um, aquatic. It's not just you know landlubbers running around on these islands uh, and fighting pirates and doing those things, but there's aquatic uh, races uh, and and sub races, if you will, or, or like types of dwarves or whatever um, mm-hmm. that that play into it as well. There are um, different civilizations on these chains of islands. Um, and so there is a there is a style of storytelling. You know, it's not 
it's not Salt Marsh, right? Salt Marsh is a bunch of adventures that has uh, a sort of uh, a dark sort of horror theme almost to it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily that. Um, I mean, certainly, but it's more of like I want to run an, uh, a campaign that's like inspired by the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but with but more fantasy, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, this 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 provides a genre mashup that I and I you know you and I were talking before we started recording about genre mashup mm-hmm. games and uh, and I'm a great appreciator of a good genre mashup you mm-hmm. know like the original Raven Lofts let's smash some fantasy and some horror together and uh, in this case let's smash Pirates of the Caribbean world with a otherwise high fantasy world mm-hmm. and and smash those together and it's I think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the areas where I think the setting is maybe less unique, or at least I didn't feel like it was super unique, was in that sort of uh, a lot of there's a tendency in setting books to open with chapter one. Let's go through the timeline of the world and the war with the gods and mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And that has been that that is a story that is told in many settings and. And the Caesar Verdari uh, take on that, you know, it's got its it's differences it's it's eccentricities uh but it's it feels pretty similar um to a lot of other settings in terms of that background um to me yeah i'd say so i think the uh i mean it's not unusual to start a story with with its genesis story if you will uh but uh but uh yeah the there's the the pantheon thing is fairly standard. I think the narrative of the pantheon is much tighter and more satisfying than some others I've seen. Okay. But 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 the pantheon in general is yeah your kind of standard stuff. Here's your god of luck. Here's your god of the sea. Here's your god of this and that. And that's that's fine. And there's know. and and there's you know the ancient conflict and in this case the ancient conflict. Um, ravaged the land in such a way that it, it turned it into a chain of islands and that's sort of right. the origin story of, of where we are other settings there was the ancient conflict between the gods and whoever and and it did other things to the settings uh, what have sure. you um, so yeah so so and, and I don't know I, I've had this thought several times I had the same thought back when I read the um, the Taldori book that Green Ronin mm-hmm. published uh, from the Critical Role setting uh, in that, like, I don't know that opening in chapter one with here's the grand history of the setting um, is the best way to open a setting book. It's the standard way to open a setting book. But I don't yeah. – on page one, I don't care about mm-hmm. <laughs> any of that, yeah, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so it feels like a little bit of a slog to get through it. Um sure. Especially when when they they kind of blur together from setting to setting sometimes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but, but once and I something got... they do do that's really good on the front mm-hmm. of this book though is the very first thing is there's like a one or two page thing about it's called six things you should know about Vodari. Now that's a winner right there, and that's yeah. a that's also really good for standing in a game shop full of books like this. Mm-hmm. And pick it up and scan the first few pages and help this book pop a little bit and stand out. And that's a good tool. Yeah, I think I feel like that was one of the things that Watsy started doing maybe in the fourth edition days with uh, maybe when they published Eberron. I forget if that was when the first time was that they did that. Uh, but it was 
well received and they've continued doing it and i know mike shea has talked uh, on sly flourish has talked a lot about doing the same sort of thing like taking the idea and doing that like here's five things you need to know about my campaign right and so you can yes. set, you know give people the primer on not not just the setting but the kind of stories you're going to be telling and what have you so yes um yeah no that is that is something they did um that's not unique but definitely helps get into the yeah. The whole thing, right? That's a helpful introduction. May, yeah, maybe the origin story isn't as. Uh, there has to be at least enough to explain why there's a huge storm right in the middle of the map and the island chain kind of all the way around it. <laughs> well, and the thing is, uh, I, I think I think I want that origin story in, in the book. I just don't know if I want it to be the first thing that I read <laughs> as, as sure, someone sure. who yeah. picks up a That's setting right. and, and right. reads it cover to cover, you know? Um, so yeah, so, uh, but yeah, uh, that, but that six things you should know place is actually a good place to look to see if there's anything we're missing in terms of what makes it unique. Mm -hmm. An ancient and broken world is not particularly unique, a dangerous place to explore with, you know, your points of light and civilization. That's not very unique. Mm -hmm. Um, if it exists mm -hmm. in a typical fantasy world, it can be here. That's, I mean, that's claiming a lack of uniqueness yeah, that's right? Right. claiming non-uniqueness that's right um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Caught, caught in divine conflicts is number four that's not particularly unique um, mm -hmm. magic is extraordinary there's other settings that do that but the the, the world of technological wonders um, the nauticalness of it which doesn't make it on that list uh, I think is where Vodari is telling uh, is enabling a different type of story that's right yeah so six and maybe a seventh that might have, yeah. should have been there is Hey, this is Waterworld. Right. You know, kind of a, <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Um, so I, th I feel like my first two questions kind of blend together, not just because the second one is, is, is the setting unique, uh, which mm -hmm. kind of blends in well with the does, sure. it, does it enable a, a different type of story, right? And so we've yeah, kind yeah. of talked about that, I think, already. Mm -hmm. um, the, my, so my next question then is um, – and this one is a, is a real kicker for me. Because sometimes I see products that do this really well, and sometimes I see products that don't, and the difference is startling to me. And that is, mm -hmm. do the locations, the people, the history, the lore that's in the, the setting inspire stories? Are there specific mm -hmm. like seeds or hooks or things that I'm seeing that are building a story for me in my head? You know, I think back to when I read the both the third edition and the fourth edition Forgotten Realms uh, campaign setting book. Um, I got to the end of reading those and, and it already had knew the story I wanted to tell in this world, right? The, mm. the, in my mind, the world was trying to tell a story and reading it had inspired that story and given me all the elements I need and now I just needed to figure out how to put them all together to, to make it work in my game, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And then I've, I, but then I'll read other setting books and they do everything right. It's chock full of detail. Uh, it's well tested. It's, you know, it, it's got all kinds of interesting things, but it never really tells inspires a story for me mm -hmm. and you know what i don't end up playing games in those settings because <laughs> i don't know yeah, what to yeah. do with it you know yeah. um you know more recent watsi books have been a little bit like that there's a lot of uh you know uh, ravnica um and and theros and um even wild mount and and some of those others like not that there aren't stories to tell there and they and they and they oftentimes have chapters about that, that give me a little bit of that, you know, inspiration. 
Um, but the the setting information itself does it inspire me to tell a certain kind of story? What do you think about how well yeah. Vidari does that? Sure. <laughs> well, um, I would say, here's how I'd answer that question. And let me pre- preface it by saying I don't typically go out and buy setting books for D and D. Like other than like I keep a fairly complete and intend to keep a fairly complete official five E library. Mm-hmm. So I've got the Ravnica book, I've got the Theros book, etc. But I really enjoy the realms and I like and I mostly run store bought stories like the official stuff. Um, that's just what I like to do. Um, so I don't usually go out buying story settings. Uh, but with this book, I, I had told you however many months ago it was when we first started talking about this, that I want an excuse to buy this book. Mm. One, because it looks cool, and two, because Brandis is our friend, and uh, I want to support him. And uh, And I'm actually really glad I read it, because, yeah, I picked about four different islands. <laughs> you know, of the I, I don't know how many islands there are that mm-hmm. are specifically described. It's it ain't no small number, whatever it is. And uh there are about four different islands that I would have to debate through either which one I would want to to do my storytelling in, or would I do the first five levels of a story in this island and then move them over to this other island mm-hmm. because you know, not every island grabbed my attention. But four and four, four or five of them grabbed it enough that I wanted to like, okay, let's do this. Let's let's right. let's run a multi-level story here, kind of it, a thing. So yeah. for me, yes. Yeah. No. I. I. And I don't know. Like, I'm in the middle of a campaign, and I know what my next campaign is going to be, and and what setting mm-hmm. it's going to be in. Uh, so. I'm reading this and I'm not looking for where do I want to run necessarily, right? Because yeah, yeah. Because the soonest I'm going to get to it is probably three, four years down the road, if I'm being yes. honest, right? Um, so, so I was reading through it, and 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 there's a lot of setting here. Um, every time I thought I was kind of getting close to the end, I, I scroll ahead a little bit and realize, oh my gosh, there's so much more and I'm not even yes. halfway. And um, so I, I wasn't able to do a real deep read through the entire setting section because it was so mm-hmm. chock full of stuff. But I think that's where, and there's value in this approach, The where I think what you do is, you know, the this common advice you you start small pick your one spot explore that a little bit and then where where do you go from there start then start reaching out bit bit by bit and so even as a dm you don't have to know the whole every island uh inside and out right uh just start small and then expand your vision from there and you can learn you know um you know i've been a teacher long enough i'm used to the idea of like sometimes you just got to stay one day ahead of the kids right (laughs) and so um so that's that's i think where this is but that said uh like i after i got a few pages in um since it's a pdf um i can i can mark it up right i don't feel bad about highlighting things and whatever Mm -hmm. um so i started I realized that that's a re- that this element is a really big deal to me. Like, is this inspiring stories? And so every time I ran into something, um, after I got a few pages into the setting, every time I got to a section where I'm like, oh, this is a, this could this is a story, right? Oh, here's an adventure. Here's mm-hmm. here's a, a larger plot going on, right? I, I'd highlight it, and I ended up highlighting stuff on. Um, on every single page and sometimes multiple, uh, you know, 
deep things on every page. Every now and then, they don't do this in, on every section, but every now and then they'll even have a, here's the kind of adventures you can tell here, which is, of course, all story seeds. It's them explicitly telling sure. you here are the story seeds. Um, so I think they they went out of their way to provide in the NPCs, in the locations, in the, the, the what have you, in the lore. They went out of their way to, like, put in these little seeds to inspire stories. Oh yeah, man, they really did. They this is about as good a job of as I've seen mm-hmm. of setting the pen up for you so all you got to do is bowl your ball down the lane and right. it's already, you know, without it actually being an official adventure like with just being mm-hmm. seeds. Mm-hmm. These are good seeds, you know. Well, and and um the I guess my my only Concern there is that the of of the ones that I did a deep dive into, the seeds that I saw would probably do a decent job of keeping me and my campaign busy from you know levels one through ten. And one of the things I like in a in a campaign is I like to have like a vision of the end. Like I don't mm-hmm. know how we're gonna get there, but I know what the larger arc is about because I have a vision mm-hmm. of how this thing, how this story ends. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know that I get that kind of a story out of here, and so yeah. um, I'd have to come up with a, do a little bit of work. And some of it, you know, you, this is not the way I typically run a campaign, but many people do. Of well, I've got a bunch of ideas, and let's just start playing, and then and then see what happens, see what what inspires yeah. us, and and what mm-hmm. plots I can throw out that might be a larger. Uh, I did find. Um, but, and this is the uh, hopefully the advantage of, of using this format to talk about it. But I found at, towards the end that because I was thinking about that, like what what sort of big world shaking um, story am I telling here, or, or am I going to use for this? When I got to the magic item section, there's like these ancient relics, um, yeah. and it occurred to me that could be a larger plot, right? That could be the end game. That could be the the you know level fifteen through twenty plot is some big bad villain is collecting these ancient relic orbs or whatever because there's a bunch of orbs and it made me think a little bit yes. of like the, the dragon orbs of dragon lance and whatever and sure. uh, or a little bit of um the infinity gauntlet in the marvel universe right you could kind of do something with that and i think you could so so i picked up some inspiration from some of the mechanical bits as well that i think could inform a larger campaign so um do i have a meta arc in mind having read through it no but I got a lot of individual adventure ideas. There's a ton yeah, of yeah. individual sort of adventure inspiration in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if I was going to do this, I might actually do two can Cause where my brain started going was doing kind of two campaigns in it. One, cause I actually prefer low level, low world impacting kind of stories. Like mm-hmm. I really like, lost mine of Fandelver as a story because mm-hmm. you know the, the world isn't depending on how this resolves but it sure does matter this one community you know um, as compared to like a tyranny of dragons or a princess of the apocalypse storyline mm-hmm. where if we don't get this right the world ends kind of a right. kind of a thing uh, I like small stories of hey you know, our town is 15% better because we did this kinds of stories mm-hmm. and uh and I saw eight gazillion of those, and I might—I yes. thought I might want to run one story, like a decent-length campaign, running around telling those sorts of stories, and then and drop some plot points in place and some plot hooks in place that then you run a 
another set of characters through that world and actually get to the meta plot right. and start tying those things together. Because uh, that's what I've done with all my all my campaigns in 5th edition, except for the one that mostly happened in Barovia, have been in the, the realms. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I've intentionally dropped Easter eggs mm-hmm. and plot hooks from each story that are going to show up in the next story and so on. I did one as recently as last, my last session with my group, you know, my, this is my third or fourth campaign with this group over these six years. And I dropped a little Easter egg from campaign one from lost mine of Fendover that they just loved. They, Mm -hmm. they just, you know, and when you're keep telling stories in one region, you can do stuff like that. Right. You know? no, I, and, uh, I've been doing that a lot with my current campaign because I know I'm running yeah. Descent into Avernus next. And so, uh-huh. you know, uh, there was a moment where, oh, oh, here's Duke Van Thamper and one of her one of her sons that, that are, you know, crucial mm-hmm. to early levels uh, in, in Descent into Avernus. And, and, yes. they were, and they were having the PCs specifically go out and recover for them a shield that had been that was lost in the, the tombs of their ancestors or whatever. Well, guess guess what that shield ends up being, right? That's yeah, um, yeah, the yeah. shield of the Hidden Lord from Descent into Avernus. So I've, I've been, you know, there was a unicorn that they were trying to save because it had made a bad deal and was going to have to go to hell. Well, there's a a, a big uh, location in Avernus where that is powered by a trapped unicorn, right? So yeah, I've been yeah. I've been sort of layering these these little hints in that won't pay off for years but hopefully they remember sure. some of them you know? so, yeah yeah that's so, the good yeah. stuff i love doing stuff like that i yeah. love that yeah. and it sounds yeah <laughs> and i think i think if i could get my players my, if i could talk my players into doing that kind of a campaign where you do a relatively low level campaign and it doesn't have necessarily a big world shaking uh meta arc um to start off with that might be fine, but I don't know that I have those players right now. <laughs> you know, my yeah, yeah. Uh, you know my current yeah. players were like, oh, well, when this whole when this campaign is over, we'll keep the same characters and keep going, won't we? I'm like, well, no, I'm planning on this these this campaign mm-hmm. taking you to like 18 or 19. We're not starting a new campaign at that high level. You sure, know? sure. Um, but you know, so so yes, th- having them stop at level eight or ten or whatever. Uh, and do a new campaign. Uh, that might be pushing it for them at this point, but mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so. Okay, so then um, my next question then goes to the second part of the book. Um, there's a lot of the lore section goes a long time. The the yes. setting stuff, but it's uh, well, it's maybe what half of the book. It, fe- it felt yeah, like it, it's uh, it felt like it was more than half the book, but. Yeah, it's it's seventy or eighty pages. Um, it's a big, big piece of the puzzle for sure. Um, let's see. The setting stuff stops on page ninety nine. Yeah, and then you go into the the people of Vodari, which is really where you start getting into um, your your player options, your crunchy mechanical bits. Yes, and so. Um, my question about the mechanics, and we can talk a little bit about what different options they have, but my question about the mechanics is really, do the mechanics enhance the setting or does the setting need these new mechanics? Mm-hmm. Or is the setting a justification for the designers to sort of make those crunchy bits that, that sells well, right? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah, sometimes yeah. it feels like the setting is not 
made better by your mechanical choices, your mechanical additions at all. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And they might mm-hmm. be neat mechanical additions, but really the setting is just a justification for you to be able to to throw in a new class feature or whatever. Um, right, 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 right. So, but but I think it's all the better, especially in a setting book, if the mechanical bits actively like enhance or are or even needed by the setting to to really you know help tell that story Um, yes so what do you how do you think that um caesar vidari does in that regard sure sure well one thing i would say is um it makes very good sense to me and i'm glad they chose to do it this way that there are multiple for lack of a better term water races uh, in, in the setting, uh, mm-hmm. instead of just one, because you know my group. Yeah, you know, I told you earlier that I usually set a bunch of books in front of my group and let them pick what they're gonna, what what we want to run next. Mm-hmm. And so my group uh, is is leaning heavily toward uh, Ghosts of Salt Marsh as our next storyline, and uh, <laughs> and without fail, every single one of them has said to me in a private conversation, "You know, I'm thinking about running a Triton character next time." Well, of course you are. <laughs> You know, because that's the one race that that would really shine in this setting as compared to the Lords of or the the Waterdeep setting with the Dragon Heist, you know, or whatever. Um, But here there are. Let's see. There's the sea dwelling dwarves. There's a there's a sub race of dwarves that Mm -hmm. are sea dwelling. There's a sub race of elves that are sea dwelling. There's a. a sub race. Well, there's a race called Sirens mm-hmm. that are sea dwelling, and then Vodas. So that's four. Am I missing any? Or is, is that nope. is that all four? No, nope, yeah. that covers it. But but there's also yeah. then they also bring in the the uh, Minotaurs as yes. a crucial race here, and the Minotaurs um, remind me a lot of like the almost Romanesque uh, inspired Minotaurs of Kryn of Dragonlance, the seafaring Romanesque uh, Minotaurs there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also, they've also added the, the cursed souls, which sort of brings in the like, um, um, you know, the, the pirate that went off and stole the cursed treasure, and now they sure. they must roam the world forever and, until they return yeah. it. You know, sort of. Thing. Yeah, that's the that's the crew of the Black Pearl or right. the crew of Davy Jones's ship. I can't remember what Davy Jones's ship was called in those movies, but uh, the Flying Dutchman. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's classic. Uh, but yeah, and I appreciate that. So I thought mm-hmm. that was cool because they just reached right out into Pirates of the Caribbean and said, "Thank you very much. We'll take that." Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yep. And I mean that in a hundred percent positive way, you know. Um, and and really, that character class—I mean, that's the crow from the old crow uh, graphic right. novel and and movie. The 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 revenant who's got the quest that can't be until it resolves that he's going to walk the earth, kind of a thing. I, mm-hmm. I thought that was great, and I thought I thought it was very liftable to other settings too. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I like. since I'm flipping through the the um races section here um i have to say i really like the the art style that's used as well i particularly like um the art style used so 
here. I like their their take on goblins. For those of you in the mm-hmm. stream or watching this later, uh, I also really like uh, and and we see this one a lot. I like the artist's take on gnomes. I think gnomes are just really fantastic with that art style. Um, the, yes. the swashbuckling uh, pirate sorts um, work really well there, too. There's some others that, that um, it don't sing as well for me uh, in this style, but, but nothing doesn't work. Uh, you know, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's actually the very first thing I said to Brandis when I downloaded the the free sample on mm. Drive Through RPG. It's about twenty pages of the document. I said, "Man, I love the art direction y'all went with," mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I really just I like the style. It's it's fairly light and breezy, and for me that's a good thing because right. man, there's plenty of grim, dark, dark this, dark, 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 dark fantasy, dark, 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 dark. Right. You know, and you, and you almost want to. Yeah. I almost would describe it as almost cartoony, but mm-hmm. but I think that's that's even maybe an unfair. Like it's light, yeah. it's colorful, uh, yes. in a way that that a swashbuckling nautical storyline yeah. I think coded should be. But that doesn't mean it's not um, serious. You know, here's in, a few pages back from there. Here's one where you know you can see that it's bright colors and there's but there's also a lot going on like you're you're portraying some emotion and some seriousness there even as you have yeah, the so serious bright light, yeah. light yeah. colors right. you know so right. um, yeah. no, I'm, every once in a while i get tired of the one edge lord to rule them all kinds of settings well and, and it, <laughs> you, know? you know what and, and it's the, what i like about it specifically is because it's lighter it evokes that kind of setting, which I think yes. the setting wants to be, right? It, yes. it, it is the, you know, I could see these characters swinging from from the mast of a ship and, and challenging the captain to a duel and, and doing those kinds of things more so than I could uh, a lot of the more standard um, D&D sure. art that gets used a lot, so... Yeah, and I, I can't get to it quickly, but you know, there's some art near the end of the book of like skeleton pirates and all mm-hmm. that stuff, and you know that again, reaching back to Pirates of the Caribbean and those movies, there's they showed us there's a way to do scary themes in an action comedy kind of a way, right? Instead of just in a because you know I wouldn't be laughing and ha 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 haing if the skeleton pirates were chasing me down the street, right? But, <laughs> but, but Jack, but Jack but Sparrow would do that. Yeah, that's right. There's a way to do that. That's right. Um, but so we talked yeah. about the. I think we we agree that the um, the racial options that are presented do a nice job of adding to the setting, enhancing the setting, and in some degree are needed by the setting. Right, the setting functions on the fact that there are aquatic races running around they're part of the civilization i think the the voda are a part of the the larger storyline of the setting and so they're crucial to the story that they're trying to tell as well um i think the class options um my answer to the question is a little bit more yes and no um, I think some of the class options, like the gunslinger option, they absolutely have to have because that's part of the concept of the setting. Uh, yes. It's a little bit different than the gunslinger option you might have seen from Matt Mercer, for example. Yes. Um, in that that gunslinger is a, a build of fighter. Whereas this gunslinger is a whole new class in and of itself, although yes, with four subclasses. Uh, yeah, although uh, although I think if I if I filed off the right serial numbers, it still kind of looks like it's built on the on the foundation on the skeletons of the fighter. 
Um, which is honestly a good way to build new big mechanical things is take something that exists and then and then change it and tweak it and make it work for what you need it to be. Uh, yes. it, it has the, the bravado points, which is interesting. It's a little bit like skill dice, a little bit like sorcery points, but it's you know, it's swashbuckling bravado, right? And so I can spin yes. bravado to to do a little more damage or to knock my enemy down or to, you know, do these other extra things depending on which build you take. You mentioned that there were was it four builds? Yeah, there are four subclasses mm-hmm. under the Gunslinger class. And uh, I thought that was very cool because mm-hmm. they're doing different things. It may be overkill, like stretching The Hobbit into three movies when two would have been sufficient. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, but it's I certainly like three of the four, if not all four. Um, well, yeah. And, no, and I, don't, yeah. I don't know that I dislike any of the four, but there are, uh, you know, what was it, the... Uh, the Pistolero and the Musketeer maybe could be the same class with just some different feature options. Yes. Um, you know, wh- but whereas the Arcane Gunslinger and the Sniper have a very specific sort of... Although, yeah. I suppose an argument can be made the Musketeer and the Sniper could... Maybe you get rid of the Musketeer and you and you, you split off those, those options to those other two builds, right? Um, yeah, potentially. But I see the logic of because this is how D and D does stuff anyway. Here on one end are the extreme martial classes like the fighter, and here on the other end are the extreme uh, magic classes like the wizard. And everything in between is some combination of those. Right. You know, like here's the cleric who's sixty percent fighty and forty percent magicy, mm-hmm. but here's the warlock who's you know. And so I just right. you tinkered with those percentages and with these four. And I really like they. Man, I don't need ever need to go look for gun fighting options in D and D again. Like nope. you know, they've got it. Like this is it, and totally liftable if you want to put guns in your game. But uh, and if I'm being wow, honest, I like it. I think I like it more than than what we have in the DMG, and probably more than what we have in uh, both Wild Mount and and Taldori from the Critical Role folks. Um, yeah, strongly agree. And and that's and yes. that's fair because like in the world of Exandria that they're telling using in Critical Role, it's like guns are kind of new. Right, yeah. and, and it's not very well developed, and it's not very common. Whereas it's very common in this setting, uh, so it makes yes. sense that it's that the the ideas are a little bit more um, developed yeah. here. Um, right. And it occurs to me that there's actually besides the four subcategories under the gunslinger class, there's actually another shooty guy in the uh, fighter classes in right. the, the cannoneer. Which <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's what it was. Stupid and awesome all together. Right, right. little little <laughs> little hand cannons that they've got tucked yes. under the yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that that is man. There's a million stories to be told with that. You know, <laughs> right? Who's uh, that guy? Yeah, especially if you put that on a halfling. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm real excited. <laughs> That's what I want to see. Run, running around with a wheelbarrow with a big with yeah. a, a hand cannon. In. Um, well, and this is where like so, this is where I think. I say yes and no in terms of how well the classes are. They justified by the setting, or are they enhancing and adding to the setting? Uh, some of these builds, because then they go through all basically all the players' handbook uh, classes and give a new build for each class. Some of them I think add to the setting. Um, some of them I think they realize that they wanted to have one new thing for every class, and so 
they kind of justified it with the setting, but it wasn't. Ne- it doesn't necessarily enhance uh, the yeah. stories I'm telling in the setting. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, and, like the, and the, I don't the think one is not. I, I really yeah. like the monk one, but I don't know why it's here. Right. You know, and, uh, and none of yeah. them, none of them, I feel like were needed to tell the stories that this setting. You know, the gunslinger yeah. was needed to tell the stories that this setting wants to tell. None of them were necessarily needed, but some of them enhance the setting uh, decently well. And then some of them, you know, they're neat, but they they don't really add much to the setting. They, it was them trying to um, clearly trying to to have something for every class. Right. Um, and then they get into feats and equipment and um, backgrounds and all of that. Uh, and I think all of those, for the most part, uh, none of those felt like they were justified by the setting so much. Or, you know, they all sort of enhanced the setting and yes. to, or, or are necessary to the setting. Um, they don't take up a ton of space compared to classes, right? Um, yeah. But I felt, I didn't feel like, you know, you got a handful of magic items, you're not going to throw in stuff you don't need to, to make mm-hmm. the setting work, right? Uh, that in, and that includes, when we talk about items and stuff, that includes uh, ships. There are uh, mechanics in here for ships and things. One of my, my sub-questions I thought was worth asking, uh, and I didn't have the chance to hold them side by side, did you happen to think through how does this handling of ships compare to the nautical rules in Saltmarsh? Mm. I did not compare them either, and I haven't actually read the nautical rules in Salt Marsh. Okay. So, <laughs> I was just curious yeah, if the so stat blocks in Salt Marsh. I liked this. There's about 20 pages here, and yeah. I liked what they did with it. I was um, just curious if if could I mash up ships from Salt Marsh and ships from here, and they mm-hmm. all sort of work together mechanically. Uh, so, yeah. I guess our answer is uh, maybe we don't know because <laughs> <laughs> neither of us had a chance to sort of look at it. That's and, right. Neither of us is literate enough to know. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I think we're ready for my next question, which is fairly straightforward yeah. and simple. Uh, but it's, and it's particularly important for third-party products like this, which is okay. So there's a bunch of mechanical options. Um, they do or do not enhance the story to to various degrees, depending on what we're talking about. Fine. Uh, but is it balanced? Like, is the if is any of this? Gonna break my game? Are any of my players like? Do my are all my players gonna end up taking stuff from this book because it's patently better than what's in the player's handbook? Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I I did read this specifically looking and asking myself that question. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much of it that I like. My first short answer is no. I don't think I don't saw I, I don't remember seeing anything that looked terribly unbalanced. Mm-hmm. But I also can't claim to have sat carefully with every single class option and sure. spent twenty minutes thinking about it. But mm-hmm. I did. That was a question I was asking as I was reading through this: is is anything blatantly broken? Right. Um, that yeah, all my guys are going to want to be pistol heroes next time we play something because right. of because of this thing. I I can't remember anything like that. I saw plenty of stuff that I thought was cool, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I don't remember. In fact, there were a couple things I thought were weak. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I yeah yeah nothing that. So what what do you think, Jeff? I don't remember seeing anything that I thought was too strong, but I could have missed uh, something in the minutia. There were a few instances, um, 
it's been a while since I've read through the race section. I, I recall there were a few instances where I felt like, well, this race is probably better than these other sort of players' handbook races. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that it was so much better that players were likely to pick up that start playing that race just for those features. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I felt the same way about the the gunslinger class. That's where I looked the most carefully in terms mm-hmm. of balance uh, because that's the easiest to to mess up, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and my first like there were some moments where I kind of raised an eyebrow to it, but then I compared it to what some other classes are doing, you know, what what fighters are doing with expertise dice, and, and you know, mm-hmm. so those are bravado points, right? The, the yeah. compare that to sorcery points and and what have you. And and once I did that, it felt. Um, I don't know that it felt unbalanced. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, sometimes it's hard to distinguish between this is unbalanced and this is just really cool. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, there was nothing that I saw that made me think this is going to break my game if I allow it, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's pretty. That says a lot, I guess. Uh, yeah. And that tells me that those areas that raised an eyebrow maybe raise the eyebrow because it's cool and not because it's going to break my game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and as a, as a regular D as a, you know, one of the, the forever DMS, um, yeah. I'm thoroughly of, of course opposed to all things cool in character classes. Uh, <laughs> so, um, right. So, uh, so, or certainly my instinct is such that, that if something looks really cool, I'm like, is that broken? Is that going to ruin my game? I don't know. <laughs> I don't sure. want to be caught by surprise, sure. you know. Yeah. Um, but no, I didn't see anything that was particularly um, that felt game breaking in any way. There were some, maybe some small like, is this stronger? Well, maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, may, it may just be that it's different, and I'm having a hard time distinguishing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, nothing I saw that I thought was blatantly too much. Um, like a couple I thought were underpowered. A couple I thought were incredible. Man, yeah. they have a masked hero subclass for Rogue called the yeah. Mask. It took, it took me just, a second to, to really yeah. wrap my head around what, what they were going for there. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's Zorro, right? It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's Zorro, medieval, medieval it's Scarlet Pimpernel, it's, uh, you know, it's... It's whatever mass swashbuckler from whatever country you're from. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and part of me, part of me looked at it and said, "Oh, this is the answer." Like p- people, you know, will oftentimes be like, "Oh, well, like if you are building Batman as a D and D character, what different multi class combinations do you have to do to get Batman?" Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And and now the answer is, well, at least partially, if not mostly, it has to be this rogue, right? Because <laughs> that's that's, right. that's, right. that's yeah. the whole idea. <laughs> Um, and it kind of it kind of works. Um, I'm trying to remember. I wanted to say that I thought the Minotaur uh, was underpowered hmm. uh, compared to some other things. You know, um, bonus to strength and, and con, um, but otherwise they can carry and drag things. Mm-hmm. And they've got the built-in weapons. 
they've got some built the horns, but yeah. what, but once you're using you know. Once you're trained in some weapons and you've taken a couple levels in a class, that almost never comes up. Yeah. Um, they're proficient in great axe and great sword and maul, fine, and they know mm-hmm. how to they know how to um, sail a ship, right? Mm-hmm. That's about it for for the the features of the Minotaur. And so, compared to some other things, the Minotaur felt a little bit underpowered. But honestly. Um, if you're in the mood to play that that character, that Minotaur sort of seafaring character, then it's not so underpowered that it's going to stop you from doing that. Um, and I would rather designers, if they're not sure, err a little bit on the underpowered side. Um, you yeah, know, I agree. But but that's me again as the DM that doesn't want the players to do anything cool. That's right. <laughs> so. See, I, I would have assumed that a lot of players would still be attracted to him because who doesn't like plus two strength plus one con? Well, know? right. And, um, and, and, that, and, maybe, and maybe that's the yeah. the balancing issue. Maybe it is powerful yeah. enough because it has the two physical trait bonuses. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you, and it's rare to see that. Most things are one yeah. physical bonus, one mental bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it's really strong physical, then historically a lesser category in some way, although it looks right. like they're moving away from those uh, in yeah. future D&D's products. Right. But yeah. So yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I st- yeah I agree. Like the overall build, as old grizzled veterans like us look at it, isn't you know top of the charts. But I think a whole lot of people are going to say, "I want to be a minotaur and smash face." And right, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and they will get to accomplish their goal. Yep. You know. All right. So my last real question then uh, is because sometimes it doesn't matter. Like all of the best design, all of the inspiration, all of the wonderful things that might be there. The the answer to every other question might be that, that this thing is fantastic. And it's just not a concept you're currently sort of you know jiving with, right? It's just not not what you're looking for at the moment. Uh, so so is this a concept that you're currently into, you know? Uh, what do you think? Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> No, mostly is okay. what I would say. Um, it ju- just in the sense that again, I this is not the kind of stuff that Lewis Britton in particular is usually looking for out of his D and D products. I'm not looking for whole new world settings. Like mm-hmm. I, I know the lane I like to drive in, and I've been in this lane a very, very long time, <laughs> and uh, so I'm not usually looking for world settings. But I will say for certain, I'm really glad I picked this up and read it. And if if the if the bug were to suddenly strike me to run a game in a whole different world than where I'm nor- comfortable normally running games, or if my players really, really said, hey, we want to do just a completely new, non-canonical world, mm-hmm. this is what I look for for sure. Uh, I <laughs> really like it. Yeah. You know, you know. Thing is, you were talking about doing Salt Marsh in your next campaign. I think mm-hmm. this because it's so nautical, you could very yeah. easily do Salt Marsh in this setting. Oh yeah, uh, and yeah, it would, certainly. And it, it would work pretty well. Um, it wouldn't be hard at all to mash these up. No, um, and I'm a big fan of mashing up <laughs> products at this point. Um, <laughs> it, it's that's what you do, man. It's, I guess that's what I do. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, there's some, for whatever reason, there there gets to be a thing in the zeitgeist of the community that people are really into. Like, for a long time, people have been really into like 
uh, stories with with fae, with fairies and what have you in D anD. d that's never been my thing. I, I'm much more a, a blood ward. Let's go. Let's go fight demons and devils and and the, deal with the machinations of the celestials and do that kind of stuff, right? Um, maybe it's my my roots in in uh, planescape <laughs> that lead me that direction, sure. right? Uh, yeah. But the the Fey have never really uh, appealed to me, right? Uh, similarly, I think there's there is a a thing in certain corners of the community as you pointed out earlier that that are really into nautical campaigns right now right uh sam has his dnd brief um game that he streams and and releases on on the tome show the audio uh for and it's all nautical based and what have you mm-hmm. and, and um i don't know like like i said before like by the time i need this because right now my headspace is entirely in barovia and the after effects of that, and then the next campaign that I've already got sort of plotted out and planned, um, mm-hmm. which is not nautical based, um, that I'm just not in the headspace to to really want to jump at this uh, right away. Um, but I think there's a lot of inspiration here. I think there's a lot of cool things here. It's really unfortunate that this didn't come out, you know, before I moved uh, a couple of years ago uh, or when I was running my campaign in, in North Carolina, um, because Basically, I drew a a post apocalyptic Earth map, mm-hmm. and I and I said to my players, uh, "We're going to start in one of these four places on this map. Point to the one you want to start at." And the, what they chose was a circular chain of islands. Okay. Right? <laughs> and so, it, so it was a little bit nautical, um, mm-hmm. and, and it was a chain of circular. You know, like I could have just transposed this whole thing and just stuck it in the middle of my setting. And I ran a full uh, one to one to twenty campaign with them, uh, and we we could have easily done all of this, and it would have fit really well in my last campaign. Right. <laughs> so now I'm kind of over it moving on to other things at the moment. So mm-hmm. I could totally come back to it and I'm going to keep this in my library and, and pull it out. Uh, it's just not what I'm, what I'm pull, looking for right now. So, yeah. 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 I think it's great. It, it's not for me right now, but it's a great, great resource. And I am not sorry to have spent my, my peasant money to buy it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and in fact, oh. I may yet pick up a physical copy of it just to have on my and, shelf and if I like it enough. And to, I've totally yeah. used chunks of it already. Uh, I've mm-hmm. already, like, you know, with my Barovia crew, right, uh, one, they gained a level. And, and the sorcerer's like, hey, you have any other third-party uh, spell options? And I totally ripped off some spells from here and, and mm-hmm. sent it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got one character who is... Um, who picked up one of the flintlock pistols from uh, Dragon Heist, and sure. that has sort of become her signature weapon. And now I'm like, well, maybe we should like reskin your levels in Bard and make you a gunslinger, <laughs> you know? Because that yeah, yeah. that would really work for yeah. you. Uh, so um, absolutely, yeah. So uh, last thoughts, I guess. Yeah, um, uh, last thoughts. You go. You go first this time. I was gonna say uh, my last thoughts are. I think generally speaking. Um, this setting book does as well or better than um, any other 5th edition setting book that I've picked up uh, in almost every category. The one thing that I've decided I want from a setting book that I don't think any setting book has ever done before um, that would help me with sort of the, the larger sort of meta arc campaign idea sort of things Um Mike Shea uh, over at Sly Flourish has done this uh, at least once 
where he sort of does an outline, just like a one page or a couple page outline of a big sort of campaign, right? Not you know, don't get too caught up in the in the nitty gritty of the, of the individual adventures or any of that. But but here's the larger plot, and here's where it's going, and here's sort of the 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 five or ten act um, um, parts to it or whatever. Um, and I think if there was you know five to ten pages of like here's three different like large one to 20 campaign arcs that you could tell in this setting just mm-hmm. to jumpstart my imagination. I think just about every, like I desperately needed that for Ravnica, for Theros, uh, even for, for Wildmount, to uh, Tal'Dorei. Um, almost every setting book I've ever read now, I look back and say, man, I don't know why this isn't a thing in setting books, but it would be really good if it was, you know? Um, so that's something I wish um, setting books did for me, um, yeah. but, no, but nobody has, and that's not uh, the fault of theirs in this one. Uh, but yeah, I think this is a really well put together setting book, and if you are uh, looking for um, high fantasy swashbuckling nautical stories with with guns and and creatures from the deep and all of that kind of stuff, um, this is a great setting to put those stories in. Um, it's not; those aren't the stories I'm I'm getting ready to tell right now. But someday yeah. it will be, and I'll have this on my shelf ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I would say this about it. Um, I agree that it is one of the best setting books I've seen, just mm-hmm. period. I think it's fantastic. Um, I think it does what it's trying to do extremely well. Uh, I also think there are big, big chunks of it that are very snippable to pull out and stick mm-hmm. in your world. You've said you've already done so about a few things. Uh, here's all the guns. Like I already said this is all the gunslinger stuff we ever need. If we want to put gunslingers in our campaigns uh, and several of these other subclasses, uh, here's 20 pages of ship rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's you know about six pages of spells and magic items. Here's uh, a couple of dozen new creatures, including, I mean, who doesn't need a were-orca in their world? Right. You know, uh, you know one of the things we didn't talk <laughs> yeah. about that, that I found interesting, there's, a, there's a, a short section on new actions. Like, here are yes. some specific sort of actions you can do with, with the, you know, the your standard sort of action in, in a turn sort yeah, of things. Yeah. Um, and and there's times where I was like, I don't, want more of that because it adds unnecessary complexity to my game that can already be complex um but there's also like yeah but like i throw debris at them okay well that is straightforward and simple enough that sure having a a, a thing to pull up and say okay well here's a quick way that you can do that uh and i don't have to make it up on the fly it can be awesome so yeah, that's really helpful because yeah, because your your character your players are always going to come up with something like that. You know, what do you mean? There's not a specific game mechanic for me leaping and grabbing the chandelier and swinging and kicking the guy in the face. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, because you know? that's when our 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 game master computer brain starts cycling of okay, what's the best way to handle that? And you know, or uh, you know, I had a player a while back want to smash a glue bomb that she'd taken off of a kobold on another kobold's head. Right, and that's cool. But yeah, what's the what's the official five E mechanism to make that happen? Right, <laughs> you know, so, so you make one up. But yeah, they added a few nice little features in here for for that, and uh, including a complete rules for uh, pirate dice. There's a complete rule set for if you want to actually play pirate um, dice at your table. That's that's even here. Yeah, you know? and there's a bunch of sort of uh, games 
know, yeah. gambling games and things that, that are detailed here that I thought were were well done. Um, you know, the, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff, like, and there's there's specific uh, rules for for duels and dueling and and the, mm-hmm. the sort of the setting sort of laws by which we conduct such things and what have you. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, fantastic resource. I'm, I'm very pleased with it, and yeah, it would not be hard to chump chop out small or large chunks of it and stick it in something else. You know, any one of these islands you could stick anywhere almost, and and you've just added a spot in your world. You know, um, very doable. All right, then, uh, if that's all of your last thoughts, I'm going to go ahead and call this the end of the episode. Uh, I want to say thank you to our listeners who support us by shopping at Amazon or DMs Guild or th- uh, through the links at thetomeshow.com or for those who are patrons of ours at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Uh, all- I also want to thank our guest, uh, Lewis Britton. Thank you for joining us. Where can people go if they want to hear more of, of what you have to, to say? What's running through your head? Sure. Uh, the two best places to find me are on Twitter at RevLewisBrinton. And then also, uh, I show up every couple of weeks on, on my own show in the Tomaverse, Tome Show News. Uh, we put out news broadcasts approximately every two weeks, just keeping you up to date, 10, 15-minute news broadcast about what's going on in D&D world. Excellent. All right, if you want to email the show, we are thetomeshow at gmail.com. If you want to find me, I am on Twitter. I am at, S, uh, at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. Uh, you can also tweet the show. It is at the Tome Show. This has been episode 345, where we set sail for the open seas and, uh, I don't know, found great plunder. <laughs> In this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm not a wall.